Good evening and welcome to another New Genesis Christian Worship Center Bible Study. My name is Damien. It's a pleasure to be with you all once again to come and study the Word of God together. I hope that you've had a, a wonderful and an amazing day, and I hope that you're excited about diving into our study on uh, Romans chapter 1. So we are continuing on in our Bible series in the book of Romans, and I'm so excited about some of the, the concepts and things that we're going to be talking about. So if you can, bow your heads with me, please, and let's offer up a quick prayer unto the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you this evening for this opportunity to come and study your word. I praise you and I magnify your most holy name tonight, and I give you all the praise and all the glory. I ask that you will give us strength and refreshing us as we come about to study your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. So um, before we go ahead and get started, I just want to do a a quick sound check just adjust the microphone just a moment so that we can make sure that everything is working properly and that way we won't have any type of uh, feedback so i think we're good to go on that one so just going to dive right in and just like we do every week we do a quick recap of what we talked about on um the previous week. So let me just move this on up over here. Just kind of give it down right over here. So um, last week we looked at verses 13 through 16. So we've kind of been splitting up um, the book of Romans given the amount of detail that's found within each section of our verses. So last week we looked at verses 13 through 16. And, and Paul, uh, we understood, was not talking down to um, the believers there at Rome, but he wanted to let them know that there was something that was hindering him uh, from seeing them sooner. So remember in the text, he wanted to get to Rome much sooner, but there were some things that were um, hindering him. And we read in the scripture in the book of Acts that it just wasn't um, his appointed time for him uh, to be there. And so the next um, point we learned was that the church of Rome was made mostly of Gentiles who were saved. The fruit that Paul mentioned in verse 13 was referring to um, the salvation of souls and the spiritual growth of those um, there in Rome. And Paul mentions that he was a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. And every believer should view themselves as a debtor to God. So the idea is, is that Great lengths was, was, was gone through by God and many others to um, bring us the gospel message. So the least that we could do is to go out and, 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 and spread the gospel. So we should see ourselves um, as, as individuals who are bound to the Great Commission to do all that we possibly can to fulfill what God has called and told us to do. And, and so Paul saw himself in that manner. And this is why uh, when we studied through the book of Acts, we saw Paul's dedication to making sure that he was um, uh, staying true to the plan that God had called him to. And so he viewed himself as a debtor as such because of that. And that's something that we should do as well, because God in all of his grace and his mercy brought the gospel to Paul. He has made it possible for us to have the gospel. And this is way of Paul showing his gratitude and his appreciation to God. And so again, all Christians should adopt this mindset. 
um, because God has done a great and marvelous work in ensuring that the gospel is brought to us. And so we have to put our best foot forward to do whatever it is necessary to take the gospel as far as we possibly can. So Paul, in view of the opposition and persecution, Paul, in view of the opposition and persecution, I'm sorry, continued to do the best that he possibly could to spread the gospel. So the idea is that Paul did not allow any circumstances or situations to take him off from doing what God had called him to do there on Damascus Road. And we should have that same mindset. And so uh, when Paul uses the phrase, I am a debtor, this suggests that he had no choice and that he did not desire to have a choice. So all this is telling us is, is once again, his commitment level to spreading the gospel message, and, and we should have that same commitment level. So the Greeks and the barbarians that is, was referred to in scripture is talking about anyone, regardless of their race, nationality, and social standing. This, again, were common phrases used during that particular time, as we can see that the use of the word barbarians was referred to those who did not speak the uh, Greek language. And we learned last week that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone, on the face of the earth. And the gospel has always been intended to save, uh, or has always been intended for God to save everyone. So this is according to John 3.16. So we know through John 3.16 that all of God's creation, God wanted to ensure that we had access to the gospel message and to be recipients of what Christ did for us on the call cross. And so the glory of God was in Paul's soul as he talked about God's glory. And, and this was, was, was what birthed forth this burden for the lost. And when we think about our Christian walk, we know that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. And so because God lives on the inside of us, then uh, it's imperative for us to uh, take heed to his voice and be committed to what he is telling us to do. Because when we are committed to the voice of God and doing what he told us to do, then we too will have this birth within our souls for the lost. Because we understand where the lost is going for all eternity. And so this is why we need to put our best foot forward in spreading the gospel. And so the calling of Paul uh, consumed him daily, which uh, it should happen to us as well. And when the scripture talks about Rome being the center of the world, we have to realize and understand that um, given Rome's vastness and great power, they saw Rome as encompassing the entire world. So this is why it was extremely important for the gospel to be preached there, because there were um, a lot of paganism going on. And like I just mentioned just seconds ago, the vastness of the empire, uh, God wanted the gospel to um, be preached there. And we are to not be ashamed of the gospel, even if people find the gospel message uh, foolish. The gospel is power and its impact is explosive and full of energy. And the power of the gospel is realized when one accepts the truth that Jesus Christ is the way to life. Um, and so when one accepts Jesus Christ, then the power that is found within the gospel message of what Christ did at the cross is that power that impacts and changes the individual's hearts. And this is the new birth that John, uh, that we read about in John chapter three, when Christ was talking to Nicodemus. So the power of the gospel is only realized when one accepts the truth that Jesus Christ is the way to life. And, and like we just mentioned, just uh, moments ago, all are included in the gospel message. And we understood that given the fact that God called the Jews out to be his 
um, chosen people to bring forth the womb of the Messiah. This is why the gospel message came to them first, and then it came to everybody else. So God never intended for any human being to be excluded from hearing the gospel, but we see that the order of God uh, had to come first in that the Jews were recipients of the gospel message. So uh, what are we going to be talking about tonight? Well, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 24. So we're going to be dealing with um, what the righteousness of God is and how it is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be talking about how faith in Christ is the only thing that's going to bring about God's righteousness because faith is the key by which all believers live by and God's wrath is revealed to those who reject his righteousness. So every person who rejects the truth, which is the word of God, um, they will abide in unrighteousness. And so um, I want you to pay very specific, uh, close attention to what we're going to be talking about tonight, because this is going to be very important. And hopefully um, a lot of your um, questions will have answers to as it relates to um, the importance of spreading the gospel message. So you got your Bibles open, turn with me to Romans chapter one. We're going to start reading in verse number 17. And as always, I'm going to be reading from um, the King James Version. So verse number 17 says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So this phrase, the just shall live by faith, appears in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 4. And what the word of God is telling us is, is that as believers, we do not live by what man says. We do not live by what we see but we live by faith. And why is that important? Because the scripture tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we're talking about believing the word of God. Jesus said it best, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is what we live by. We live by the word of God. We live by faith and we do not live by anything else. Because if we try to live by anything else other than faith in the word of God and what he has said, then we are depending on a creation. And you cannot depend on creation to provide you the substance you need in life. And the reason why is because creation is corrupted and creation is fallen. And so um, God is saying that you must place confidence in my word, in my promises, in my statutes, in my degree, in my decrees, because when you place faith in those things, then you're going to be able to carry out my will. Because the scripture already told us the carnal mind cannot comprehend the things of the spirit. So you have to receive this by faith. You have to uh, move in the direction that the Holy Spirit is leading you to. So here we see in this particular um, uh, verse, the righteousness of God is revealed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ has everything to do what Christ did on the cross for us, the atonement of our sins, um, being that slain lamb, uh, taking the, the sins of the world upon himself uh, and, and making it possible for all who come to him to have forgiveness of sins. And that is the gospel message. That is what we should be telling people during this particular time. And when we look at what the righteousness of God is, there are several words in the Greek text 
that describe what this righteousness is. So this righteousness of God deals with uh, being upright, being just, being righteous. It is a pronouncement on, on individuals who are guilty that they are now righteous, that they have been acquitted and vindicated from all wrongdoing. And this is only possible by what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. You cannot receive this righteousness any other means. You can't work for it. You can't study hard for it. This is only received by what? Faith in Jesus Christ. So faith in Christ is what brings about this righteousness that the scripture is talking about. And so that righteousness is obtained by faith. So this is why we have to live by faith. And we can't do anything because if the truth be told, if we take faith out of the equation and we put it into our own hands, then we are saying that we uh, are great, we're grand, and we have something to boast about. And that is an impossibility when it comes to the things of God because of our nature. And the study in the book of Romans is going to start to deal with the sin nature. So uh, as we transition along in the next coming chapters and verses, we're going to be talking about the sin nature, and then you're going to be able to understand why um, the righteousness of God has to be received by faith. And so um, I just mentioned the several meanings of righteousness in the Greek text. They are righteousness, uprightness, just to pronounce or treat a person as righteous, to acquit, to vindicate. And so uh, righteousness is God's divine standard that once again is revealed by faith in Christ. Um, and so, like I said, we cannot at all obtain this righteousness by anything else other than faith. And so when, when, the, when the Bible tells us that this righteousness of God is revealed, what it is saying is, is that in our previous state, in our previous sinful nature, the righteousness of God was covered. It was hidden from us. Why? Because of our nature. Because the carnal nature is in, always in direct opposition to God. So in order for the righteousness of God to be revealed, there has to be a change in the heart. And once the change in the heart takes place, you're now brought out of darkness, like the scripture says, and you're brought into the light of God. And therefore, now the righteousness of God that was once hidden from you is now uncovered because of your faith in Christ. And now you're able to walk and abide in that righteousness. So now you know why sin is very damaging. Now you understand why it's important that you live holy, that you live righteously, that you look to God for your substance, that you walk by faith and not by sight. So now you understand those things that was once hidden from you because of your nature. So look at the power of the gospel. Look at the power of what the cross has afforded each and every single one of us, that now we're able to walk in the righteousness of God, uh, walk in a way that we are vindicated. God no longer sees us as guilty. Because of our sinful nature prior to our conversion, we were worthy of death. Why? Because all of our actions was against the divine moral standards of God. So that's pretty much what the Ten Commandments is wrapped up. Nine of the ten deal with morality. The only one that doesn't deal with morality is the Sabbath. But the other nine um, commandments of the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai 
is a moral standard that has always been in existence. And so therefore, when you break a moral code, then you have to be judged for what you have done. And the decree of God declared that those who break his law and commandments are worthy of death. That's what the law demanded. It demanded death. That was the penalty for breaking the law. And all of our actions were in direct violation of the standard of God. But now that Christ has come, he has made it possible that our sins are forgiven because he has taken our place. And now we have been vindicated by his blood. And therefore, by our faith in him, we now have the righteousness of God that has been revealed unto us. And we walk in that righteousness that we could not obtain. It's only um, given by faith. And so Paul is laying this out to let uh, the Christians know that faith is the key that we all must live by as believers. We can't live by anything else because that is not going to work. And so we've talked about now how the righteousness of God is revealed. It is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, this is a powerful, powerful statement because in the, in, the, in the previous verse 17, we know that the righteousness of God is given to us by our faith. And we understand that faith is the key by which all believers must live by and shall live by, according to the Greek text, that our source of life is in Christ. So now, when we see verse 18, God is telling us that sin has to be judged because of what it is. So we see for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So unrighteousness is in its simplest form is doing that which is not right. It is doing um, that which your flesh takes you to. It is doing things that are in direct opposition to what God says is right. So if God says, thou shall not lie, unrighteousness says, thou shall lie, thou can lie. Uh, the righteousness of God says, thou shall not steal. Unrighteousness says, you can steal. You can take whatever it is that you want to take. So we see this parallel between righteousness and unrighteousness, and they're clashing together. Because the unrighteousness, again, is in violation of what God has decreed to be righteous because there is no one higher than God. So God sets the standard. So if you're trying to bring forth a standard that is against what God has said and nothing is higher than God, then that's wrong. And so God is saying, for those who reject me in my way, you abide in righteousness. And so my, I'm sorry, you abide in unrighteousness for those who reject my way. And therefore, my righteousness is hidden from you because you refuse to accept the way to receive it, which is Jesus Christ. So God is saying now, because I am a rightful, holy judge and you have broken my moral law, there must be a judgment for it. There is not one law that is given in this land that you break that there is not a penalty for it. That's what law is. Law demands a penalty for those who break it. 
If not, then that's not law. You can't have it. So God says the penalty for breaking my moral law is death. And therefore, my wrath will be poured out upon you. So God is saying, just like I have revealed my righteousness to those who have accepted my son Christ, I'm also going to reveal my wrath to those who reject my righteousness. So we see once again both sides coming into play here. And so the wrath of God must come upon those who reject his righteousness because he cannot accept sin. So we're talking about the divine standard here that God has set, and he cannot accept anything else that goes against his divine standard. All of us have standards that we've set in life, and the reason why we set those standards is because we want to ensure that what is right or what we're looking for meets what we desire. So God desires his creation to abide in certain principles, certain standards of living, and anything that comes to violate that is in opposition to him, and it must be dealt with. So sin in all of its form is against what is good, and all it produces is evil. This is why it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. This is why it was so important that Adam understood what, what God was saying to him. Don't eat of this tree, because the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. I'm giving you everything else. Just abide in my word. But I'm also going to give you the ability to choose because I cannot claim myself to be a loving God if I don't give you that ability to choose. So you can't claim that you are love and, and remove the ability to choose. That's not love. So this is why we have free will. God gave us that ability, but he also said that if you, if you do not listen and abide in my words and eat of this tree, then you will surely die. And everything that you're going to produce is nothing but death. So God has to deal with that because God is righteous. God has a standard. And anything that comes to violate that standard, it has to be severely punished. And this is what we're dealing with here. So the wrath of God has to come down. And for those who do not understand this, this is why we get all these other different denominational teachings, because people only focus on the love part of God. And God has said multiple times in his word that he is a righteous God, that he is a righteous judge. So if anything is not righteous comes to do away with his standard, it must be dealt with. It must be punished. This is why uh, Jesus told the folks uh, that hell was not created for you. It was created for the devil and his angels. But because you have made the decision to reject the truth that has been revealed to you, what you produce is just like what Satan produces. That's to kill, that's stealing, that's destroying, that's, that's wreaking havoc in the earth that has taken that which was created to be good and it has now killed it. So there has to be a punishment for that. And so when you reject the righteousness of God, you will abide in the unrighteousness that Lucifer abides in. And he has a death sentence, so to speak. And because you make the choice to follow his unrighteousness, then what you're saying is, I agree with everything that he stands for. And so if you agree with everything that he stands for, then you must accept where he is going. 
And we're going to deal with that in the coming verse where it talks about all of these unrighteousness uh, that God is dealing with in these particular verses that we're going to get ahead. So this is why when you die and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have, you have basically said in front of God, I have chosen the way of unrighteousness. I love everything that unrighteousness stands for. And I make Lucifer my father because he is the father of this unrighteousness. So wherever he goes, I'm going to go. I follow him my entire life. So why wouldn't I want to follow him for all eternity? So you see the parallel here. So this is why I'm, I'm speaking to some people out there who say that uh, it, it's, it's, it's wrong for God to, to send somebody to hell and burn them there forever and forever. Uh, when the Bible clearly tells us it wasn't even made for us. But because you make the choice to abide in unrighteousness and follow Lucifer all the days of your life, then in the life that is to come, the eternal life, uh, you will abide with him for all eternity, which is the lake of fire. So that's what you're saying. So God is saying that I must judge unrighteousness because I have to. As a moral righteous judge, I have to judge unrighteousness. And so now we see in this text, the wrath of God is coming down. It is his wrath regarding sin. And this anger, this uh, wrath comes about because of his strong hatred of what sin is. And we should have the exact same mindset. We don't hate the person. We hate the sin that has captivated the person. This is why, church, it's so important that we get out here and spread the gospel. You know, and I, and I say this every week, it seems. This is why we do these Bible studies the way that we do them because we want people to understand what the Bible is saying. And when you start to break down these verses um, line by line and precept by precept, you get an understanding of the severity of what God is saying and why we must go out and preach the gospel message. I wanna read you from one of uh, the study notes that I have written here uh, regarding this wrath of God. It says, the anger of this wrath is O-R-G-E, orgy in the Greek, and it is an anger or emotion from God regarding sin. It represents an anger that is a strong hatred of sin, and it is an anger that all who are righteous because of what Christ has done for them should have. Sin must be hated because of its damaging eternal effects. That's why God has to judge it. It's damaging eternal, notice the word eternal, effects. This is why God has to deal with it, and this is why it must be dealt with very severely. And, and, and so uh, we have to, have to teach and preach and proclaim the righteousness of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone who is uh, perishing here. In verse number 19, it says this, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. So look at what God is saying here. We start talking about the, the just shall live by faith. We start talking about the righteousness of God and how it's revealed to those who abide in faith in Christ. Now we've just talked about the wrath of God is being revealed to those who abide in unrighteousness. Now look what God is saying here in verse number 19. God is basically saying several points here, and I want to just jump right into it. God can be known if you so desire. This is what this text is telling us here. 
The knowledge of God is written on every single human being. It doesn't matter if you're in the islands of Zimbabwe. It doesn't matter if you're in the jungle parts of Fiji. When you come into this world, the knowledge of God is written on your heart. It is written because it says right here, that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has showed it unto them. Look at what the text is saying. In order to act upon that knowledge that God himself has placed there, you must want to know God. So what is so what is it saying? So the, uh, in the book in the Gospel of John, we we learn that it is God the Father who who's constantly drawing men. Jesus talked about that. So the Spirit of God is going out to all of humanity. It doesn't matter where you are on this earth. This is this is how powerful God is. The God sitting on the throne, the Holy Spirit is doing the work. The the power of God is able to reach. I love it in the Old Testament. Well, the psalmist says, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I go to the darkest um, points of the earth, you, you can still see me. Even when Israel was worshiping idols in the dark in the, in the book of Ezekiel, the Lord took the prophet Ezekiel in a vision, and he showed them what the leaders of Israel were doing in the dark. Because they figured, if we turn on all the lights, surely Jehovah can't see us. God says, I see them even in the dark. This is how powerful God is that we serve. So God is always drawing men to himself. God, the spirit of God is always moving. And he comes upon individuals and he, he taps into that which he has manifested in them. And then they must respond to that. Uh, but what has happened is, is that men reject that. So God says, I have left proof of my existence in all of creation. It doesn't matter if you study every star in the sky. It doesn't matter if you study every animal on the earth. God has put his signature even in the things we can see that testifies that he exists. And so the problem lies is when man uh, refuses to accept that which has been revealed unto them. So all men are without excuse, irrespective if they hear the gospel message or not. Why? Because God has put it in all of us. So some folks have asked the question over the years, well, what about those who doesn't hear the gospel? This verse is letting you know God has put something on the heart of all of us that testifies that he exists. And if we do not adhere to that drawing that God has placed there and God's spirit is always trying to draw men to himself, then we will abide in the unrighteousness that we were born in. So you got to understand that God is a righteous God. He is a righteous judge. And so God has made it possible for anyone. Now, when it comes to us spreading the gospel message, where do we come into play? Because if it's written on our hearts, why do God need us? Perfect example is the Ethiopian in the book of Acts. Because the scripture already told us, I mean, without the spirit of God coming upon us, we can't comprehend spiritual things. And sometimes, if the truth be told, 
uh, we need to have a physical presence in front of us to comprehend certain things. Because if God were to manifest himself in all of his glory, we will be consumed. We would not live. I mean, we see in the book of Acts how the apostle Paul was blinded for three days at the appearance of Christ. So looking upon a holy spiritual being, our flesh cannot receive it in its totality. So God moves upon us Christians who have accepted him to be that physical voice that can go and minister to individuals who have responded to the gospel message, or I'm sorry, to the drawing of the spirit of God. And for those who have rejected the drawing, God still uses us to be that light and that voice to speak to that which has already been manifested in them that God has showed it to them in verse number 19. So I, I, over the years, I have um, listened to a, a hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of individuals that accepted Jesus Christ through a vision from Muslim, from Buddhists, from Hindus, you, you name it. And, the, and it's the interesting factor in all of that. Uh, the, the, the key denominator is they all were searching for the one true God, even though they were born and raised in these different religions. They had questions. They begin to look at creation. They begin to look at the text, the religions that they were born in. They had all of these questions and they wanted to know God. And so they, they begin to, to cry out and say, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And it happened. Why? Because what was manifested in them was working upon them like God is always doing the drawing in the earth. And they responded to it. And then God send, sent uh, missionaries to testify to them. Several years back, I saw a documentary where a guy was in, uh, a Hindu. This guy was, uh, I think he was like what we would call uh, like a preacher here in Hinduism. But he had questions about what he was preaching. I mean, he was like 30, 40 years um, preaching because he started to really pay attention to what he was saying. So he just began to, within his heart, cry out, God, reveal yourself. Whoever you are, whether you are called Krishna, Allah, whoever you are, I'm searching for the one true living God who's going to lead me to truth. And that night he had a dream. And in the dream, Jesus appeared to him and showed him a particular missionary who was going to minister to him. And he saw the guy in all of his clothes. This guy had on like a blue outfit or something like that. I mean, exactly picture of the guy who was going to minister to him. And the Lord says, on a certain day and time, he's going to be there. This is the guy. So the Hindu guy wakes up. Now, the very guy that the Lord showed him in a vision, that missionary, God then was dealing with that very same missionary and showed him the Hindu guy he was going to talk to. I mean, from head to toe. They got to the exact point at the right time and they saw each other and they walked up to each other and there the ministering started. So as you can see, uh, God moves in many different ways and forms and fashions. But it's also imperative for us because we have a part to play in, in, in carrying out this divine will of God in ministry and spreading the gospel. If we neglect to go where God is leading us to go, we are in sin. 
because God has already told us that there is a great harvest out there. There are individuals who need to hear the gospel message because they may accept the drawing that God is doing, but they, they're not going to be able to fully understand what his word says. This is where the anointing comes in over us to be that physical voice that speaks to them, to be that light to shine unto them. And so this is why it's very important for us to, to carry out what God has called us to do. And so verse 19 brings that out. Now in verse number 20, it goes even further to, to prove the point of this concept that we're talking about. Because it says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This is God talking here. He's already outlined in verse number 19 where he says, that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it unto them. And then he, 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 even taught, he went a step further and said, even the invisible things. So when the um, astrologers and, and all of the different scientists study space, they see these invisible principles at work that tells you that there is a creator that put this together, that this did not come about by some random big bang 14 billion years ago, where two matters traveling in the opposite directions collided with each other, and there was a gigantic explosion, and all the billions and trillions of stars and galaxies were created from this explosion. That's not where it happens. There's th th that's foolishness, because first of all, if there was no universe, there was no time and no space, how are these particles traveling in opposite directions to collide? Second of all, if there was no such thing as time, then how could they, again, even have existed? These are just some of the questions that, that cannot be answered by these academia minds who believe this stuff. But God is saying the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. So he's telling us here in verse number 20 that when you start to even study the heavens and everything else, it logically points to a creator. So this is just an extension of what we talked about in verse number 19. Because creation demands a creator because it is impossible for something to come out of nothing. Every human being will face this uh, particular crossroad. Who is able to understand right from wrong will face this crossroad. And there has to be an internal source from which all things come from. So God is saying, I'm not leaving you out there hanging by yourself. I put something on the inside of you that testifies of who I am. My spirit is constantly drawing. If an individual accepts the drawing, going back to the example that I just gave about the dream, this Hindu uh, was searching for God within his heart. God revealed himself to him, came in a vision in a dream. The man bows down in the dream, and, and, and Jesus says, I am the Christ. He cries out, my Lord, this Jesus, I've heard about you, but I've rejected you. Now I accept you. Man comes out of the vision clearly shaken and changed. And now he's awaiting for that particular moment where he will meet the missionary. Now, the missionary was obedient to the calling of God to go out and spread the gospel. So God moves upon the missionary in the exact same fashion to then show him this man that he must preach to. Because even in the vision, the Hindu man couldn't even comprehend what he was seeing. 
So God says, because of your nature, you can't comprehend and handle my essence. So I'm going to move upon the physical flesh that, 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 that's going to be able to minister to you. That I'm going to anoint who's going to walk in my dunamis power to be my uh, fleshly voice on this earth. Then, then you can be able to stand in front of and not be consumed. Again, this goes back to the part we have to play. And God is saying that I've shown who, you who I am in all of creation, even the things you cannot see. None of us can fully comprehend and understand why the, the moon is hanging on nothing. The scripture said the earth hangs on nothing. That everything is upheld by the word of his power. We can't see that, but we know that something is holding the entire universe up. The invisible power that's holding up. The invisible principles that are at work. God is saying, I put all this there so that the logical conclusion draws to the fact that there is someone higher than you. And if you will respond to the drawing that I'm constantly doing, I will respond to that. And I will send you an individual that will minister to you face to face and, and help you to understand who I am. Again, this is why it's so important. So, so God is saying here, the invisible things of, of who I am from the creation of the world are clearly seen. He, he said, I am the eternal source. And he is saying, I'm showing you I exist in creation. I've watched documentaries over the years of um, um, different people on the islands that have all of these, these different religions. And I've always wondered in my head, God, how in the world can these people be so closed off from the world? There's no way the gospel is going to get to them. In my closed mind, and God uh, helped me to understand, he already said that the gospel was going to be preached to every creature on the face of the earth. And don't you know and behold, when I begin to look up these tribes, that God had already sent missionaries there. And I began to ask myself, well, well how did the missionaries even gain access because these villages, they're, they're closed off to the outside world. It was individuals within the very tribe that looked up to the heavens and wanted a personal relationship with the creator. Even though they were raised in this pagan religion their entire life, they understood that, that, that there were too many questions there. That they understood that there has to be something higher than what they were worshiping because they were worshiping these statues and they were killing and doing all these sacrifices and it wasn't producing any results. But when they, re when they uh, responded to the drawing of God, he moved upon their hearts, that which was revealed to them, not only in their hearts, but in creation. And he came unto them and they accepted his drawing. And God says, I'm going to send somebody that's going to talk to you, just like the Ethiopian on that road that God sent Philip to, to, to minister to. When the guy was struggling over the book of Isaiah, and God is doing the same today. So God is saying that there is no excuse for any human being upon the face of the earth. And, and, and so, it's an, again, it's imperative. I stress the point of, of us going out and preaching the gospel because we we as uh, flesh cannot stand in the presence of God. We see it throughout scripture. Everyone falls on their knees. No one can stand in prison. God told Moses, I can't show you in all of my glory because you're going to die. The, the appearance of Christ on Damascus Road was not in his full glory. 
just a small part of it, and he and Paul was blinded for three days. So how can you how can you have a conversation with a God this powerful in that type of, of manifestation? You can't. Again, this is why it's important for us as believers to go out and minister. Because the Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. His power comes out of us as we're obedient. And then we go and we minister to individuals who, who like I said, none of us can stand in the presence of God. This is why it's important for us to minister. I keep um, beating upon this because I want us to understand the severity of why it's important that we do what God called us to do. And when that happens, then we see the people coming into the knowledge of God. This is where the gifts of the Spirit come in. This is where the gifts of the body of the church come in, the pastors, the preachers, the teachers, the evangelists, the apostles. This is where all of this comes into play, edification and building up the church, building up disciples of the kingdom of God to then go out and once again minister. But as people are accepting the drawing of God, God says, I'm sending individuals over here to minister to you. This is the order of God. This is how things are. And God is telling us that I reveal myself to every single human being on the face of this earth through what is written in their hearts and through what they can see in creation. No one is without excuse. The God of the earth will do what is right. Ignorance does not equate to salvation. I want y'all to understand this. Ignorance does not equate to salvation. Verses 19 through 20 tells us that. And so um, God is just basically telling us in his verse of scripture that no man is without defense. And you cannot claim that you were not aware of the truth. Every Christian out here, you cannot claim that you can't understand the scriptures. You can't claim that. You may, you may say it, but you can't claim it. No man can claim that he was not aware of the truth because God has revealed himself. God is doing the drawing. So because of this, now going back to what we talked about, the righteousness of God, starting out in verse number 17, now you see why, get into verse 18, the wrath of God is justified and pouring out his wrath on those who abide in unrighteousness. He says, I've already revealed the truth to you. And throughout the course of your life, God is constantly drawing. Now, there's going to come a point where God will give you over. And we're going to be talking about that in just a few moments. So the gospel reveals to us the atonement that was preordained before the foundation of the world. It's talking about his eternal power and his Godhead. So that they are without excuse here. Verse number 21, we're almost done. Um, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So look at what God is saying here. Interesting verse. There is an abundant knowledge revealed through creation that God is the creator. So God has given uh, mankind abundant knowledge of who he is. Um, there was a, atheist, a famous atheist by the name of Richard Dawkins. He's almost 80 years old. I, I, I've seen many debates this man has done over the past 15 years. Um, those that were close to him, uh, Christopher Hitchens and a whole lot of others, they've debated some of the brightest apologists, apologetics in the, Christ, in the Christian faith. Um, and, and, and it's amazing how um, when you ask them this question about their studies of, of the heavens, 
that they that him and his colleagues have said that when you study the heavens, it looks like there is a creator. He said, we even uh, asked amongst ourselves, how is this possible that all of this came by chance? But then in his reprobated mind, which we're going to talk about, he goes back and he says, the reason why I reject God is because God is too far above my knowledge. He says, I cannot comprehend him. So therefore, I reject him. This is what this verse is talking about. Because that when they knew God, knew what? The truth that God revealed to them. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became what? Vain in their imagination. So think about what I just said about this man. He made this statement about 20 years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, that because God is too complex for him to understand, he then reasoned that God cannot exist because he considers himself the epitome of um, smart. He considers himself the epitome of um, you know, being intellect, intellectualism. So in other words, he said, I'm very smart. I've got all these degrees. I went to the highest schools that you can go to. I've graduated from Cambridge. You know, I, I've written all these books. I've written all these articles. People know my name. You know, you know when I go and I, and I, and I teach in, in colleges around the world, I instantly sell out the auditorium. People want to hear what I have to say. And, and, and because I can't comprehend God in all of my smart Miss, <laughs> he, he reasoned that God doesn't exist. He turns around and he says statements like, yes, when you look at uh, the, the, the heavens, yes, you know, it, it, it looks like there is a creator, but it can't be because I can't understand them. So because I can't understand them, then he, he, he can't exist. So it has to be something else. Vain in their imagination. These are individuals who willfully reject the truth that we just read in verses 19 through 20 that God reveals to all men, this is what happens. And he says, their foolish hearts were darkened. Amazing verse. So most of the world willfully closes their eyes to this knowledge and refuse to honor God. So even though God has made it possible for man to come to this knowledge of who he is, Sadly, the majority of humanity rejects God. Jesus said it best, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and there be many that find it, but narrow is the road to life, and there be few that find it. Anyone who observes creation will see the truth of a divine creator. You can take children, walk them outside, and they will look up, and they will even wonder, how did all of this get here? They marvel at the beauty of what they are seeing. And if you tell a child, like, this just came out of nowhere, every child that I've said that to all have the same look. They just kind of look like, okay. Like, in their mind, they're like, how is this possible? Because they even understand that something just doesn't appear. And one of the things that... Uh, shows the foolishness of man's heart is, again, uh, the way that God has wired me, I have over the years studied a, a lot of 
of, of things concerning atheism and other religions, because I want to understand how individuals um, cannot honor God. And I even use my own life as an example growing up in Catholicism and what I was taught and some of the questions I begin to have. And everyone has those types of questions. And so when you come to the point where you just want to know what the truth is, then you will begin to seek that out and God will begin to move. So in the case of what I'm talking about here, observing creation and, and realizing that there was a divine creator, when those who say that everything that we see just came out of nothing, you, all, you will always hear them talk about time. Well, we know time had a beginning because if there was nothing in existence, you, you can't observe time without two points of existence. For example, how can I accurately tell you how long it takes me to go from my house to Walmart uh, if my house in Walmart doesn't exist? They first have to exist in order for me to measure the time it takes. If those two points don't exist, I cannot accurately measure the time it would take for me to go to my house to Walmart if those did not exist. So time has a beginning. It starts with two points. So for those who say in the beginning there was absolutely nothing, and then all of a sudden something came up, they say things like, well, it was the right time. If nothing was in existence, how can time be measured? The foolishness of such a statement, but they spin it in such a way because they don't want to abide in the truth that God is saying. So they, they, they become foolish in their statements and they say things like, well, even though there is nothing in existence, time still exists. And all you need is for that time to take its course and then all of a sudden something will appear. But if there's nothing there to come out of, how can something again appear? The foolishness of that logic, going back to using this gentleman, Richard Dawkins, as an example, I heard him uh, it must have been about 12 or 13 years ago, sit around a panel with a Catholic priest and he had another atheist and he had a Protestant there and he was trying to argue the point of why you can get something out of nothing. And they all started to laugh at him and he stopped in his speech and he says, why are you laughing at me? And, there, and the Catholic priest says, we're, we're laughing because we're trying to figure out why you're trying to explain nothing because it was foolish when you start to really listen to him. And the scripture is telling us, when you reject the truth that God has revealed to you, you will come up with foolish ideologies. You will come up with foolish worship. This is where we started to get into these religions of the world. It goes all the way back to Babylon. Continues on even to this day. This is how these things come about. When men reject the truth that God reveals to them, then therefore the revelation that they have rejected will become corrupted in their own mind. They will begin to conjure up things that are foolish. And they will reason within themselves that those things that they have conjured up is right, it's truth, when in fact it is not. It is a corruption. But they will pass it off as truth. So this is why we have all these different philosophies in the world today. This is why we have all these different religions in the world today. 
This is why we have so much division, even in Christianity with denominations. Why? Because men reject the truth. And what comes out of their mind is foolish, vain imaginations that is not based upon truth, but, but is based upon a carnal mind that is corrupted. So therefore, their ideologies and what they produce is corrupted. It's wrong. And the more they continue to abide in that unrighteousness, the more corruption they produce. And the farther away they go from God and his righteousness. They will abide in unrighteousness. They will do unrighteous things. Therefore, their sins have not been forgiven because they have not taken the salvation that Christ provides. And therefore, when the wrath of God is revealed unto them, they will be judged and sentenced accordingly. So all of this is tying back together. So God is saying, I've made it possible, humanity, for you to know who I am. God is telling us to church today, do you see the importance of going out and fulfilling the Great Commission? Do you see the importance of understanding what the purpose is that God has for you? To go out and, 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 to, and to minister and, and, and to tell people about the righteousness of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the wrath of God will be revealed unto all godliness. The rejection of God's truth, again, will lead to man creating gods of his own substance. This is this corruption that I just mentioned. This is, what, this, this is the end result. This is what happens. And everything that man produces is unrighteousness. This is why there's so much evil in the world today. It's because man may, has made the choice to reject God. Just like the righteousness of God that's in the earth, Man has made a, a, a choice to accept the righteousness of God. So God allows the choice to accept righteousness to come about in the earth, and God allows the choice of unrighteousness to come about in the earth. So this is why you have evil, good and evil in the earth. So for those who sit around and they say, um, I don't understand why, why, why God just you know, allows murderers to exist, they have rejected his righteousness. They made the choice, and God allows their unrighteousness to come forth, just like he allows the righteousness of God to come forth in those who accept him. So the fruit of the Spirit that is produced, the love, the gentleness, the kindness, he allows that to come forth in the earth. So he allows the unrighteousness to come forth in the earth. There are many parables that relate to this, allowing the tares to come up with the good uh, uh, weeds the good plants. This is the process in the earth. So whatever decision you make, God would allow it to come forth. Now we have more evil in the world because men are, are rejecting the righteousness of God. And the unrighteousness sometimes will come upon the righteous. But God says, even in that manner, I'm able to flip that over and bring you up. Even though you may experience heartache, pain, and death, and suffering, God says, if you hold on, you will see my righteousness prevail. And what you're going to have for all eternity is going to be far greater than what you're experiencing on the earth. So this was not so in the plan of God. So this is why you have evil still existing in the world today. 
And God has already told us in these last few verses the work that he has done to ensure that all will come to know the truth. But once again, he gives you the ability to say yes or no. If you say no, he allows those decisions to come forth because what you produce in unrighteousness will be judged just like what you produce in righteousness will be judged as well for the eternal rewards. So there's a, so again, everything that every human being produces is going to have to be judged. So again, we see what God has done for humanity here. And God says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So all who reject God refuses to honor him as the divine creator, and those who reject God would attribute good things in the earth to man's doing and not God's. So this is why you see a lot of people in the earth today will say things like, oh, that was great, I'm blessed, and and all of these different things, what they're talking about is what they have done. They're not giving glory to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're not giving glory to the one true living God. They're giving glory to themselves and to the works of their hands. And, 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 and basically what they're saying is that we don't need God. Look, look at the good that we have done. Why would we need him? Look at what we have done. And so that's why it's talking about them not glorifying God. They're not being thankful. And so um, the phrase, but became vain in their imagination, this just tells us this is the only direction that man can go. He can't go anywhere else but this place. He, he's constantly getting worse. So looking at what we've been talking about this far, we're almost coming to a close in our study tonight. How can things get better in the earth? If, if more people continue to abide in unrighteousness, how is the earth going to get better? It's not. If men do not bow and submit themselves to Christ, things will not get better. We're in the last days, and the scripture tell, has told us that things will wax worse and worse. Lawlessness will increase. Unholiness will increase. Why? Because men are constantly rejecting the righteousness of God. And so the unrighteousness piles up higher and higher and higher. But we who are righteous because of our faith in Christ must hold on and still abide and do what God has told us to do in spite of this unrighteousness that is increasing. Because we see all these different ideologies are happening around us. We see uh, what was once evil is now being called good and once what's um, the very thing that was once good has now been called evil. That's a passage found in the book of Isaiah as it relates to Israel. But the, the, the application, the spirit behind that transcends even to us today in our time. And this is a result, vain imaginations. Everyone has an opinion of what is right. And, and people refuse to go by what God says is right. So for those who stand up for what God says is right, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be persecuted. Why? Because you're going against the vain imaginations that have been created forth of those who willfully abide in unrighteousness. 
So this is why you have, that's why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's why we learned last week, you cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. You're going to go against those who are vain in their imaginations, and you must stand firm in your stance and not be ashamed of the gospel. So when we look at the word vain here, it means devoid of force, truth, success, and results. So what it says is that whatever is attempted would not measure up to what it should be because it's corrupted. It's not abiding in the righteousness of God. This is what we're dealing with, church. And this is why we have to pray even more and go out and fulfill what God has called us to do and not be ashamed and understand that when we go out and we're, and we're facing this opposition, these are people who are abiding in unrighteousness, but we still have to tell them about the righteousness of God to give them an opportunity to hear the truth. They're without excuse. The scripture just told us that. So they would be without even more excuse having heard the gospel face to face. It's one thing to reject what God has revealed to you in your heart. But it's another thing to reject the voice that is coming to your hearing. And now we see how God is justified in pouring out his wrath on unrighteousness. Closing and winding down. In verse number 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The scripture refers to those who reject God and his divine wisdom. The wisdom of God, the wisdom of man is foolish because it comes with a fallen understanding that will always be contrary to God. Man's conclusion concerning every matter in life will always be tainted and wrong. I'm going to say that again. Man's conclusion concerning every matter in life will always be tainted and wrong. Always. It's not going to be anything else but wrong. Verse 23, winding down in our study tonight. And change, look at this verse, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. This is the end result. This is the vain imaginations coming forth. This is getting into what I talked about the other religions of the world and all these other different things that come about. This is the outcome of all who reject God. This is the only place that you can go. You can't go anyplace else but this way. Because sin will cause man to redefine God into one that is created by their own imaginations. If you're an atheist, what you're saying is you are God. Humanity is God. This goes into this, um, this humanistic psychology that says man continues to get better and better as he progresses along. You're creating your own self into a God, humanity into a God. And then you have those who create um, statues, the Buddhists, the Hindus, all these other different religions create God based upon their own perception. They look at what is created. They say birds and they create gods out of those things. You know, I, I finished watching season one of The Chosen, and if you haven't watched it, I recommend it highly, strongly. It's very, very uh, powerful. And in one of the episodes, I can't remember which one it was, um, 
this this um, African man was coming to, um, this was when they were building Jacob's well, and he was coming, he was talking to them, and, and then he's asking them, you know, why are you building here? Uh, there is no water here. And the guy said, well, God told us. And he says, well, where is your God? You know, where, I don't see a statue. Where is he? He says, he's invisible. And the guy says, how can you serve an invisible God? He said, surely you have to have some type of image as a God, because he thought it was foolish to serve a God you could not see. But he didn't think it was foolish to serve a God made with his own hands. And then through the course of the episode, they kept digging and they found water. And he turned and, and the guy who found the water that was mentioned to be Jacob's well began to bless God. He said, bless Adonai. And then the uh, African gentleman stood there in awe and shock. Now, I, I told you that because th this is where men go. And we look at that, that story in The Chosen. The, the, the young man thought it was foolish to serve a God you could not see, but he didn't think it was foolish to serve a God made with his own hands. This is, this is the end result of what happens when you continuously abide in this unrighteousness, that you would see God himself to be foolish in his nature, but have no problem seeing what you produce is foolish. That's what God can, God can accept that. And so what happens is you're deceived. You're deceived because you're abiding in unrighteousness. You're deceived because the powers of darkness are keeping you in darkness and deceiving you. But God is saying through his text, hey, I revealed myself to you. You made the willful choice. I know uh, over the years, people who have been born uh, in, in various religions of the world. And in every case that I have over the years, and even looking and studying and watching countless videos, of testimonies. And even in myself, growing up as a Roman Catholic, I came to have questions. Why do we do this? How do you know it's right? You know, why am I bowing to these statues? Why are you bowing to these statues? That's, that's going to come upon every heart to question certain things. But you have a decision to make. Are you going to reject the truth that God has revealed? And if you do, you're abiding in his righteousness and look at what the scripture is saying you're going to end up. And God's going to deal with that type of thing in these later coming verses. So when one takes upon the false perception of God, bondage and all manner of evil will manifest. Man will always reduce God to things created by him. This is evident in the false gods of this world. This is evident in the philosophies of this world. This is evident in the ideology of the atheists and the agnostics of the world. This is the end result, a blank openly rejection of righteousness. And God has to deal with that. In our last scripture of the night in verse number 24, hope that you have enjoyed um, this Bible study. I know I have just going through and, and, and breaking these verses down once again is even bringing me even to a greater understanding of, of the significance of what God is saying here. Verse 24, wherefore God gave also, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness 
through the lust of their own hearts. Look what he's saying, to dishonor their own body between themselves. Why would God do that? Simple. You get what you want. You get what you ask for. You know, we use the example all the time in church about relationships, and we'll say, like, you know, you remember you had to have that particular someone, and, and you know, God is telling you, no, that that's not right, and you go ahead and, 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 and just he give it to you anyway because you constantly keep rejecting him. Well, that's what you get. You know, Pastor Andre has shared my testimony uh, a couple of times about me in my job search, and I praise God for that particular uh, account. Because I heard clearly the spirit spoke to my heart. It was like a voice, just, just like a thought came to my head. Damien, don't take that job. I kept hearing it over and over again. Just, just, it was like, just like a voice in my head. Damien, don't take that job. This job was going to pay me, starting out, $100,000 a year, most I would have ever made, plus bonuses, plus benefits. Major theme park here in Orlando. My family would have been able to go to the parks anytime we wanted to, plus $100,000 a year salary to start off. It probably more than likely would have been higher based upon my education and my work history. Opportunity to lead a team of about six or seven individuals. Benefits, bonuses, you name it, it was there. Sitting in the interview, ladies going through, I'm already in my head plotting how I'm going to turn this department around. The lady says, I'm looking for a unicorn. I'm like, I can be that unicorn. I, I can do what you need me to do. She was giving me examples that they faced, that they, they had trouble solving. And what I presented to her, she was like, we didn't even think of that. She said, matter of fact, if we would have thought that way, it would have saved us a whole lot of time. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, this job is mine. I'm smiling. I got this job. And I'm sitting there and, and don't take, Damien, don't take this job. I kept hearing that little voice in my head, Damien, don't take this job. Damien, don't take this job. And I'm like, this cannot be God telling me this because I can do this job. I can, I, I've sat there and wowed this lady with my ideas that her whole team of IT people didn't even think of. And she liked the direction that I was going. But I kept hearing in my head, Damien, don't take this job. And when the interview was all over, I said, God, you, this has to be you. It has to be. Walked out the door, got in my car, and I knew right then and there I was not going to take that job. I said, God, I'm going to leave this in your hand. You kept speaking to me. Damien, do not take this job. Lady calls me back and she says, you know, Damien, we were very pleased with what you, your interview today. So next step is gonna to be talk to so-and-so person, but you're not gonna have any problem. I said, thank you for the invitation, but I'm gonna to have to withdraw my name. Lady was like, are you sure? Your interview went so well, why? I said, I can't explain to you why. This is just not the job for me. Fast forward months, ahead, COVID hits. 
that very same job, laid off a chunk of their staff, and I would have been out of a job. So why am I telling you this testimony? God kept revealing to me, don't take this job. Just like in the previous verses, God was revealing about his righteousness, about who he is as a creator. And when you respond to his voice and his drawing, look at the benefits that you have. Now, what if I would not have listened to that voice in my head? And I would have said, you know what? This, this can't be you, God. I mean, this is my mind playing tricks on me. I'm going to take this job. My family would have suffered. I would have brought unnecessary heartache into my household. I would have been stressed out. My family finances would have been in shambles. I would have been having to deal with this unemployment system here in Florida that we all know is horrendous. I would have had to go through all of those unnecessary hardships. Why? Because I didn't listen. And, and, and God would have allowed it because I, made the I would have made the decision to not adhere to his voice. But because I listened to his voice, look at what I have gained. Steady employment, more work on my current job, bonuses that I wasn't even expecting to get during this time. Job stability, all because I adhere to his voice. Just like what we read in these previous verses, when you take the righteousness of God in Christ by faith, look at what you gain. But if you reject what is God has revealed to you, and he keeps on over and over again, look at the unrighteousness that comes forth and look what it produces. And because of that, God would give you over to that. So God would, if I would have rejected God's voice, God would have said, okay, take it, Damien. I tried through the whole hour and even afterwards to tell you not to take that job. But because you didn't listen to me, if, if that job is what you want, hey, put my hands up like this, you can have it. This is what the scripture is telling us. If you want unrighteousness, God says, okay, put my hands up, you can have it. You can have all that unrighteousness produces. And look what it's going to do. He's going to allow you to follow your heart when he is rejected. This will lead to an individual that is deprived and driven by the sin nature. The reason evil continues to be present in this world is because, is because God gives man over to his lust. We have the freedom to choose. In the garden, you can eat of every tree here. Just don't eat of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that one. All these other trees you can have. Now, the interesting thing about it, the other trees were in a greater abundance than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had access to hundreds, thousands of trees. It was, they, the, the way of God was more abundant than the one tree. But yet that's what they chose. Why did they choose that? Scripture says, 
a desire to be wise. Now, some may ask the question, well, how is it possible that they sinned if they didn't have a sin nature? You've answered your own question in the fact that God gave them the ability to choose. And that ability to choose was not predicated on whether or not they had a sinful nature. It was predicated on whether or not they would believe and obey God's voice. So them having a sin nature did not factor into the equation because the choice was given when they were created. So because they decided to go that way, then their flesh became corrupted. And now everything that they produced was evil and full of unrighteousness because of that decision. So now this is what happens again. Because remember, God allowed them to make that decision. God was right there the whole time. He could have stopped them, but he says, no, to violate the choice that I have given them would be wrong. So I have to allow them to go the direction that they are wanting to go. Same exists here presently. And this is why the world is in the situation that it's in. As sin continues to grow, the evil done will be greater. The word lust here in the Greek means a passionate craving, longing desire that will lead to sin that is out of control. This is why lawlessness is abiding. This is why it has always been here since Adam ate of the forbidden fruit. And this is what happens. You know, in the way of the master, um, with Ray Combs, it's called Living Waters now. Um, he goes through the Ten Commandments when he's out there ministering. And he goes through and he says, have you ever stolen something in your life? Of course, everybody says yes. Have you told a lie? Of course, everybody says yes. Have you ever looked at a, uh, like a, a woman or a man with lust? Everybody says yes. And he says, according to your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, lustful, blasphemer, murderous person at heart. You stand before a judge, innocent or guilty. Everyone says, I'm guilty. That's the end result of a mindset that says, I want to continue in my sin. These are the things that I want to do. This is what happens. So when God allows you to abide in this uncleanliness, you're going to have a passion that's out of control. It's going to go whatever the sin nature wants to take it. You would dishonor your body in the most deprived way possible. And this type of dishonor will go higher than natural lust. It will go as far as you want it to go. And this is where we are in the world today. So uh, we've gone through these um, verses very, very powerful verses um, just outlined here in tonight's Bible study. Because um, of the severity of what God is saying, we have to go back and understand some very things before we close out this Bible study. The righteousness of God is revealed by faith, faith in Christ. And that righteousness is un unveiled to us are unveiled to those who believe in Jesus Christ, and it leads us to abide in what is right. 
And for those who reject the righteousness of God, reject Christ, what is right is hidden from them because that's what they want. And God is telling us that we cannot live by anything else but faith because that's all we are supposed to live by, faith. Live by every word that comes out of God's mouth. Because to abide in anything other than that is saying that we depend on ourselves for its substance and we take God out of the equation. And that cannot be so in the life of a believer. And because those who uh, reject the righteousness of God, they will abide in unrighteousness and the wrath of God, the judgment of God has to come down upon them because God is a righteous judge and he must judge righteously that which is against his moral law. And it has to be done. It has to be so. Or he couldn't stand in the office of a judge. He couldn't be called a judge if he is not going to lay down the verdict on those who have broken his divine law. And that wrath is going to be revealed from heaven, whether in the coming uh, tribulation or when you take your last breath. It's appointed once on the man to die, and after that, the judgment. Wrath of God is going to be revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Those who hold the truth in unrighteousness means that those who reject the truth will abide in unrighteousness. The truth that is spoken of in that particular phrase is dealing with the fact that God has made it possible through observing what he has created and what he has put on the inside of your heart to know what truth is. And when you reject that consistently and you abide in that unrighteousness, when you take your last breath, the wrath of God will be revealed on your unrighteousness. God has made it possible for all men to know who he, who he is. He has showed it to all of us, from the youngest all the way to the oldest. He has made it possible. His eternal power in Godhead. God says, no human being is without excuse. Nobody. If you're able to understand right from wrong, you're without excuse. Because I made it possible for you to understand it. So for those who may be watching this and you're just vacillating back and forth whether or not you should accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I, I admonish you strongly. Today is the day of salvation. Accept it while you can. Because if you die in your unrighteousness, the wrath of God is going to be revealed from heaven against you. And the judgment will come upon you. You're without excuse. The truth is known. The truth is available. No human being is without excuse. And if the truth comes, and when the truth comes to you and you reject it, you've got nobody but yourself to blame. If you start glorifying in anything else, but giving God his rightful glory, you're abiding in unrighteousness. You have to be thankful and honored the one true living God. And saints, we've got to go out and preach because those who abide in this unrighteousness, they're going to come up with all kinds of things that are corrupt. The scripture says vain in their imaginations. You're going to start worshiping people, things, and all these other, other um, created things that God has said that men would do. And everything is going to lead to corruption. You're going to dishonor yourself and abide in lust. 
So this is our, our study tonight. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Next week, we're going to finish out, uh, not next week, we're having a prayer uh, week next week, but the week after next in the first Wednesday of February, hopefully we're going to finish out Romans chapter one, looking at verses 25 through 32. And we're going to get more into uh, what these uh, vain imaginations will lead to, what this dishonoring will lead to, what, where the lust is going to take you. And you're going to see why we as Christians cannot agree with what the scripture says is an abomination unto him. So um, the website is up. As you can see at the bottom of your screen, go to ktwnow.org backslash Romans to get these uh, um, curriculum notes as well as the Bible study notes so you can follow along with us. So we're going to be dealing with Romans chapter 25 through 32. These are some of our questions that we're going to be um, dealing with and talking through next week. So please join us. Please go on the website, grab the notes, uh, grab the study notes, grab the um, Bible curriculum notes. They will bless you. They will help you to understand the word of God. I'm going to continue to add Bible study notes to the website. So um, right now I'm working on 1 Corinthians. Um, I'm on 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So um, a few more weeks time, 1 Corinthians will be ready. Then I'll start on 2 Corinthians. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a, a couple of months or so to have these Bible study notes ready for 1 and 2 Corinthians. So on the website now we've got the book of John, we've got the book of Acts, we've got all of the book of Romans there. Um, so go grab those study notes. Uh, it will bless you, it will help you. They are a, there are many commentaries that, um, that I put together through my, through my studying, uh, through looking through the commentaries, the concordance that I have and allowing the spirit of God to lead me in understanding his word and breaking down verse by verse. So I've utilized the gifts that God has given to the body of Christ to help me, as well as the ultimate teacher, the Holy Spirit, to lead and to guide me. And so um, use these Bible study notes. They are there, uh, free of charge for you to take, for you to study. It will bless you. It will help you in uh, understanding these verses that we're breaking down. Um, and as we continue to go along, more will be added. So the goal God willing is for me to post study notes for every book of the Bible. My goal is to get through the New Testament first and then start on the Old Testament. So go to ktnow.org and get these um, Bible study notes and these curriculums. It will bless you. I've enjoyed um, tonight's study with you. I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. And as we do every week before we get off on this Bible study, I want to offer up a quick prayer. So if you can, bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, I thank you this evening for this study in your word. I pray that something was said to bless the people who will watch this um, telecast again, that you may speak through, speak volume through um, these, this uh, video, oh God, that they would be blessed and that, and that you would bring them to understanding of your word. I give you praise, I give you glory, and I give you honor, oh God, and I pray that you would give revelation, knowledge, and understanding to the body of Christ, that you would help us all to fulfill the purpose and calling that you have for our life. I tell you, thank you now for these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I thank you all again for your time. Remember, we will not be posting the video on next week, but the following week, uh, we will be back once again to finish out the book of Romans, God willing. And like I say always, be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen.